Hey, I'm Father Dave Dwyer from Busted Halo. And if you've never heard the Busted Halo radio show on Sirius XM Satellite Radio Channel 129, you really should take a listen. For subscription information, go to SiriusXM.com. But in the meantime, here's something we talked about on a recent show. We are on location at the Anaheim Convention Center for the annual Los Angeles Archdiocese Religious Education Congress, where we gather together with 30,000 of our closest Catholic friends and bring you, listening on SiriusXM Radio, a little flavor of what's happening at LA Congress, including some of the best workshop leaders and keynote speakers, including our first guest this afternoon, the very popular Bishop Robert Barron, who serves as Auxiliary Bishop of the Los Angeles Archdiocese and founder of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. He's the host of several DVD series, including Catholicism, an award-winning documentary about the Catholic faith that aired on PBS. Bishop Barron has lectured widely in the United States and abroad and is a best-selling author who has published numerous books, essays, and articles on theology and the spiritual life. He's also a religion correspondent for NBC and has appeared on Fox News, CNN, and EWTN. Welcome back, friend of the show, Bishop Robert hey, Barron. Father Dave, always good to be back with you. How are you? A, a big I'm crowd. Oh, a big you. crowd for you. Of course. I appreciate that. How are things? You're comfortable? I see you're very LA I, comfortable in I your vans. I wore the Vans because I've got to be standing here all day and walking around. And my, those dress shoes, you know, you know that. The I do know. Pre-shoes are not the most comfortable when you have to do a lot of walking. So I thought, you know, the, the bishop suit and the Vans is a good combination. That, that is a good combination. It's a very L.A. combo. Very L.A. You've been here how many years now? Just a little over three. That's what I thought. Still, yeah. still feeling? Because as a pastor, three years, you might still be just getting your stride. Yeah. Still you know, feeling uh, newish? Yeah, I guess newish. But, you know, I, uh, I love it out here, you know, and I feel very much at home. It took me, you know, maybe about six months or so. It was a big transition, you know, because I came here from Chicago and had zero, zero sense I would ever be here. So it took <laughs> me about six months. But, no, I feel very comfortable here now and at home. Well, and would you say that uh, the church in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, for a, par a portion of which you are primarily mm -hmm. in, uh, the bishop the of the Santa Barbara Pastoral Region, regionally, would you say the church feels alive and oh, growing? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, this is where the church is happening in many ways, in the Southwest. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you want to see where the church is growing, where the church is really alive. And I say it as a Midwesterner. I love, you know, Chicago and love the church on the East Coast. But I, I think to see where it's happening, you come out here. Yeah. And um, I love that. You know, as I go around my region, which is big region, it's about 145 miles wide, my region. It would be bigger than many dioceses. Oh, and, and also in terms of people, much bigger than – I've got about 650,000 Catholics in my wow. region. Wow. And I'm the smallest of the five regions in terms of people <laughs> out here. But it would be bigger than – most dioceses in the in the country. Really, so you know it's it's interesting, but it's a very vibrant place, very uh, active place. I love it. I love that. I love the liturgical life. It's going around with the different parishes. Mm -hmm. Confirmation season. I can't believe it begins <laughs> this coming weekend. I got two confirmations. We do them because really as a all bishop, you have to do those really oh, <laughs> a yeah. lot of those, <laughs> a lot of them. And we in L.A., which I kind of like, we do them all in one compact period, oh, like okay. about a two and a half month period. Wow. Yeah. But that means you, you're really on the confirmation circuit a lot. You know? <laughs> Get to meet you know, a lot of teenagers. I'll tell you one thing I like about it is I don't have to tra – I travel a lot, you know. And I, I like it, but I also hate it. You know, travel's hard. Right. So during confirmation season, I can't travel. Nope. I can't go anywhere. Nope. So it's nice. I'm kind of home, and I come back to my own bed every night. You, you know, mean you're nice. not uh, on the uh, in the sermon temple in Jerusalem That's standing right. there with an <laughs> HD camera? You're like, no, i got to do some bishop stuff. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I like that. There are some uh, – I saw just some new episodes of the, the – not the Catholicism series, but the major players. Pivotal players. Pivotal players. players yeah. Um, it's We see film them in the summer because I – I don't have time now. I can't right. just go around the world the way I, I no, used to. So, really? no. so during the summer <laughs> we film. So we last summer we filmed 
Flannery O'Connor and Fulton Sheen. And those are coming out next September, but we're just coming out with um, with Benedict and Augustine, which we'd filmed the summer before, and uh, it's just been a joy, you know. And I, I'm almost through. We got one more this coming summer: mm-hmm. Ignatius of Loyola and Bartolome de las Casas. I'm going to film. Wow! And then that project's done. Oh, really? Yeah. Those are 12. the only pivotal players. Well, that's twelve. <laughs> and if, a, you can raise me a few more million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll can, get some more and, and travel all around the world. You can do more. Okay. Uh, no, it's been a joy, but I'm also kind of glad that project's okay. coming to a close. Okay. You know? Well, yesterday uh, you gave uh, the keynote speech here at the LA Congress. I heard such good um, uh, things about it immediately afterwards, even from some of my Paul's brothers. That last night I watched the streaming version oh, on good. my little phone on yeah. your on your Facebook page, primarily because I was giving a talk on a very similar topic <laughs> this morning and wanted to make sure. I said, "How many people have heard Bishop Barron's talking about?" You know, two thirds of the people said. I said, "His will be better." So I'm just gonna. <laughs> <laughs> but you were um, talking about one of the most important things. In fact, you identified that it's probably number the second most important yeah, thing. It's number two. The now. most important thing being the sexual abuse crisis and yeah. how we continue to deal with that and healing from that and rebuilding from that. Yeah. Number two is all of these people that are identifying as not being a part of our church. Absolutely. I mean, I've been saying for a long time now, number one problem, I think it's fair now to say number two, but <laughs> yeah. still... You know, I think any Catholic has got to be animated about this, that the stats are depressing, and there's no way around that. Right. Uh, the one that always stays in my mind now, for every one person joining our church today, 6.3 are leaving. Yeah. So that's just, you know, those are not good numbers for us. And um, we have to be awake to that situation. We can't just put our heads in the sand. That We, we are losing, especially young people, in droves. But what I went through yesterday was first describing the unaffiliated. So we have a mm-hmm. lot of survey information about that, who they are, all the stats. But then the second part of my talk was, okay, why are they leaving? And, and I said it's something built into us religious types, I think, is that we, we tend to pontificate. Like, oh, I know. I know why they're leaving. <laughs> but we have also a lot of objective data about that. There have been a lot of studies asking young people. Yeah. And I mentioned how Pope Francis quite rightly always says, Listen to young people. Listen. listen to what are they actually saying? They are telling us. So I went through, oh, I don't know, six or seven of the major reasons why young people leave. And the third part of my talk was, okay, now what do we do? Yeah. How do we get them back? And I mentioned nine things. So it was probably a little bit long. I designed this talk. Actually, I've got to speak to all the priests of L.A. in September. They asked me to talk about this. Okay. And that's like two 45-minute sessions. So that's what I was kind of preparing for. But I gave it a dry run right. yesterday. You it know. seemed to work out. Yeah. and so, <laughs> But I had to cut a lot out, actually, to get into the time frame. Right. But I do think it's a hugely important issue for us to think through. But uh, of, the, of the nine suggestions or tips that you gave, one of the ones that people who had heard your talk came back and repeated back to me is, Let's stop watering down the faith. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, I said, you know, I'd be happy if they carved it on my tombstone. Let's stop it, watering down the faith? You know, <laughs> don't dumb down the faith. Okay. Is, my argument is that we've had now about 60 years of dumbing down the faith. My generation was the first one to get this sort of, you know, low-level presentation of the faith. And, you know, I, I guess the reason was to make it more relevant, more accessible. But, see, I think, Dave, these, these studies are showing us the bitter fruits of that decision. Yeah. You dumb down the faith, and what are the kids telling us? It's survey after survey. They're telling us, I don't believe any of this. It doesn't make sense to me. It's illogical. It's unscientific. They're not getting answers to their questions. So we say, oh, they they weren't welcomed at parishes. That might be true, and that that is in the mix somewhere. But what they're actually telling us is, no, I think this religion thing is is for the birds. Mm. Well, 
why aren't we giving, especially our young people, instruction at a very high level? So what way have we dumbed it down, do you think? I think we dumbed everything down. I think yeah. we, we presented it in a very kind of user-friendly, yep. uh, putting a great stress on the social action side of the church, putting a great stress on perhaps prayer and spirituality, again, both of which are great. <laughs> I'm not at all against them. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what the kids say is, I don't believe in God. Look, the new atheists came along. We know this back in the early zeros, right after right. September 11th. Hitchens, Dawkins, Sam Harris, every single day on my website, I deal with the disciples of the new atheists. Yeah. Young people that were argued into atheism. Mm -hmm. Well, we got to argue them back, right. you know. Um, so belief in God, belief in Jesus. For a lot of young people, Jesus is like a distant mythological character. Right. He's a character from a story. He's a, it's an old Bronze Age, you know, tale. The Bible, oh, it's a lot of pre-scientific nonsense, you know, spouted by people that didn't know the difference between, you know, a cell and a molecule. So, <laughs> so the, the new atheists got into the kids' minds in a big way. We have to be in the front lines. And as I said, a lot of it is religion science. That comes through in all the surveys. It's unscientific. Science disproves religion. Science and religion are, are implacable foes, you know. And I'm saying out of the Catholic tradition, we're the faith and reason tradition, right? Yeah. yeah. We, we've, we've never repudiated reason at our best. We've embraced it. Mm -hmm. uh, the Galileo story, which, of course, every, you know, one of the new atheists uh, uh, revives, that's one tiny part of a much, much more complex, interesting story sure. of the relation between faith and, and science. So anyway, that's something I feel very strongly about. And I told I think I told a story in the talk yesterday about my nephew, this super smart kid, Drew. He's 19. He's a sophomore now at MIT, right? Well, Hyper smart kid, yeah. math, science. And I said to him, did you feel that your high school, he went to a public high school outside Chicago, prepared you for MIT? Like when you arrived at MIT, were you ready? And he said, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, what struck me was this kid at high school, right, 17, is getting MIT-level instruction in math and science. Mm -hmm. Do we give our 17-year-olds, let's be honest, yeah. us religious types, this is Religious Education Congress here, right? Right. Are we giving our 17-year-olds instruction at the, at the MIT level in theology? Yeah. No. Philosophy. Yeah. Are we? Are we equipping our kids to deal with these questions? And mm -hmm. I think the, the question sadly answers itself. You know? Right. Well, why did we do this? Because... The study you show is what's bugging our young people. So I said to, I said, look, I'm pointing the finger at me. The bishops, priests, all of <laughs> right, us right. need to pick up our game, I mm -hmm. think, you know, because the young people are, they're walking away from us in droves. Mm -hmm. And in, in terms of, like, giving people an MIT-level uh, theology, does how early does that start? Is it with our, is it catechism in parishes where yeah. quite often we rely on volunteer lay people who don't even themselves don't have a master's in theology. No, I, I know, and it's, it's a again, big, uh, and I, I, I love the people who who are doing this out of out of goodwill. Yeah, God bless them in every yeah. possible way. I mean that, and you know, I'm chair now of the bishops' uh, uh, committee on evangelization catechesis, mm -hmm. and the first part of my time as president, we de we devoted to the nuns. This issue of the unaffiliated, right? Not the N U N S, the N O N E S, right? The right. nuns. Uh, but the second part now, I'm dedicating to catechist formation because mm. I really do think that's absolutely key that our catechists at all levels are formed in, in prayer and in spirituality and a deep sense of the church but also formed in, in apologetics and yeah. theology and philosophy you know my, my MIT nephew I'll tell you a quick story he went through um, religious ed he didn't go to Catholic school 
and um, he remembers one class vividly. <laughs> it was sixth grade. Yeah. Why? Because he had a teacher in sixth grade. She was from Notre Dame, I remember. Had like an MA from Notre Dame. And she put those kids through their paces. They had to learn the Bible. They had to learn the names. They had to learn the history of salvation. She really put them through their paces. That's the one class he remembers, of course, right, you know, right. in all the years. Well, that's not surprising. Yeah. Because they, they, she gave them something really substantive, you know. Yeah. So I think more and more and more of that is needed. Bishop Robert Barron is our guest here on the Busted Hale Show. You know him from Word on Fire Ministries, from the Catholicism DVD series that many of you have used in your parishes. He is a uh, auxiliary bishop for the region of Santa Barbara here in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, and still travels the world on other <laughs> occasions. Other <laughs> occasions. Um, you, you, we were talking about that big number two issue. Let's uh, be somewhat transparent and talk about the number one issue, and that is, uh, what's your take as a bishop? Because we kind of start banding this word bishop around to mean all these guys that are uh, power-hungry and abusing their authority. Um, I remember when the sexual abuse crisis first hit in 2002, I was a newly ordained priest, only two years, and I remember that many people, including our own Catholics, began to kind of see all priests as potentially pedophiles or abusers, and I, I know how that felt. I would imagine it feels similar when people are saying, the bishops, all these bishops who have been abusing oh, yeah. power and authority, and you're a bishop. That must not feel... Particularly terrific. <laughs> no, and I, I'm with you. I, I went through the same thing. I mean, my almost my whole priesthood has been under the cloud of this thing because in Chicago, I'm a Chicago priest, and um, 1992 was the first wave of the sex abuse scandals. I'm ordained in 1986. So most of my priesthood has been kind of under the, the cloud, under the shadow of this thing. Have we responded in very good ways? The answer is yes. There's no question about that. And that's one thing that really bugged me about the, the Pennsylvania report, as horrific as that was and yeah. as real as that was. But a communication expert said to me, <clears throat> the majority of even church-going Catholics believe that those were all reports of new cases. Yeah. That's so sad. I mean, yeah. they're reports of terrible things. I'm not gainsaying that for a minute. Right. Terrible things. But almost all of them from long ago. Since the 2002 Dallas Accords, there has, as we all know, been a massive drop-off yeah. in the problem. Now, the new dimension of it, as you say, is now bishops after the McCarrick uh, thing. Are we addressing it? The answer is yes. Yeah. I just got back from Washington, the administrative committee, and we're looking at these protocols that we want to put in place. Working, of course, with the Vatican, they have to give the final approval, so we're in dialogue with them. Uh, almost certainly in June, we're going to vote on these protocols that will mm -hmm. govern now the way a complaint can be brought against a bishop. Mm -hmm. Good. We're taking the Dallas Accords 2002 and applying them really, you know, in a specific way to bishops. Yeah. So step by step to address it, absolutely. But, you know, you and I, we both, we've talked about this. We know this. <laughs> that protocols are one thing. They're, they're, they're indispensable. Don't get me wrong. They're indispensable. But it's a, it's a reform, yeah. a deep spiritual reform of the priesthood. You know, be blunt about it. There was, there was a rot somewhere in the priesthood. I and mean, there's no way around that. Yes, it's a wider cultural thing. I get it. It is a wider cultural thing. But yet there's, there's a rot in the priesthood that has to be addressed. And it's a, it's a spiritual renewal that's being called for. Mm -hmm. It's a renewal of what it means to be a priest, what it means to be a bishop. Um, if, if we're abusing power, we're, we're using people as a means to an end, especially uh, young people, I mean, that's a horrific sin. <laughs> to put its, give it its proper name. Right. And that has to be addressed at all levels. So the protocols, yes, but this deeper spiritual and moral renewal mm -hmm. of the priesthood 
is what's needed. Were, were you part of the retreat that happened in Chicago sure. over yeah. the, over in January? But Cardinal Dolan uh, came back from that, and he was very honest on the air, and he said, you know, going in, I wasn't looking forward to that, but he said, I I was wrong. He said it was, it, good. It was very powerful. I agree with that. It was back at my old stomping grounds at yeah, Mundelein. Sure, I had not been sure. back there for over a year. Oh, really? And there was also kind of a miracle. You know, I'm a Chicagoan, and they said, a retreat in early January in Chicago. I said, are you kidding? But honestly, it was, it was almost weird. The weather was like 48 and sunny. And people kept saying, it's not so bad here. I said, oh, no, no, believe me, this is not Chicago weather. But anyway, it, it really was a, a good thing for a number of reasons. One was the camaraderie of the bishops. You know, usually we do get together a lot. But usually in a kind of a business setting or these those formal meetings in Baltimore and Washington, mm-hmm. this was a whole different feel because we were together more as brothers, you know. And then the preacher was really good, Conta yeah. Mesa, the Pope's yeah. preacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he spoke in a kind of charmingly accented but very understandable English and spoke good and blunt truths about the spiritual life, you mm-hmm. know. I think we all felt that. He was very good. So, yeah, the retreat was good. Uh, and that's part of it. The Pope and, wanted that. And I remember after the, the February meeting of the heads of the bishops' conferences, uh, Cardinal DiNardo, the president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, came back saying we need to intensify the Dallas Charter. He's recently taken ill. Do you know how yeah. he is doing? Everything I've heard is, is okay. positive. He had a, okay. they're just calling it a mild stroke, and I think there was maybe a, a, just a little bit of some physical impairment. He's going okay. for some rehab. Okay. I, it's funny, at the administrative meeting in Washington just, what, 10 days ago, um, the meeting broke up, and I had to stay an extra day for my own committee meeting. So, and he had to stay. So we ended up just at the same table at lunch. You and Cardinal, uh, just he Donato. and I. And yeah. I've known him for a long time. And we had a long talk about the Church Fathers. That's his his love. You know, he studied yeah. the Church Fathers as a young man. Yeah. And we talked about um, uh, Chrysostom and Augustine and Irenaeus for about forty five minutes. And then I heard, the, I think it was the next day or two days later, he had the stroke. So wow. been praying for him. Yeah, he's, he's a good man, and he's under an awful lot of pressure. You know. Yes. And, and I think people presume a lot that, well, he's the president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. He's like the bishop in charge of all the United States. Yeah, Which no. in some ways, yes, but in some ways, no, not because of our church structure. But just he's kind of a spokesman. You know? he's, right. he's not like the uber bishop right. of the country. He's right. not that. But he's a spokesperson, and he's you know a point man for a lot of right. this stuff. Right. And back and forth between the U.S. and the Vatican and mm-hmm. feeling pressure from both places in different ways. Right. It's not a, a, an easy position. But before I let you go, Bishop Robert Barron, um, w- w- the things that you deal with every day that you just mentioned on either uh, video or on uh, just back and forth on social media, many people, particularly people without faith or uh, who claim to be atheists, always want to needle you. And Is there some favorite topic you like to kind of respond? Because you're good on everything. But Is there a favorite topic you like to uh, respond on? Aha, I got you on that one. Here, here's a chink in your armor, new atheists. When people say, well, obviously, this is ridiculous. Well, <laughs> yes, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, I mean, the faith and reason you mentioned. Uh, because no, that's, but I, I think what it is is, you know, anybody who is <clears throat> pursuing an intellectual quest is assuming the fundamental intelligibility of the world. Hmm. Like if you're a scientist, you're a philosopher, you're any kind of intellectual searcher, you're assuming there's some kind of intelligible structure. Hmm. Where does that come from? Why should the world be intelligible? See, it's a very interesting question. And it's stranger the more you think about it. Why wouldn't the world just be chaotic? Right. Why, why does every biologist or chemist or psychologist that goes out to meet the world assume there'll be something ordered and intelligible about it? Right. That's why, in a way, any intellectual endeavor, including that of the atheists, is predicated upon the assumption of the world's intelligibility, which, if you press it, 
points towards some intelligence which has imbued the world with intelligibility. Now, this argument I'm adapting from a, a, a little-known German theologian called <laughs> Josef Ratzinger, who made it a long time ago. Very but I known. think it's still yeah. it's a darn good argument, interesting yeah. argument, about intelligibility points to God. Hmm. And so anyone using reason, and that includes Christopher Hitchens or Sam Harris, is implicitly affirming God's existence. Wow. That's kind of a, a little gotcha, I suppose. You like that. <laughs> we, I'll use it. We can uh, newly release here at LA Congress, or at least uh, available, and I'm sure available on the website, Word on Fire, your two new pivotal players, Augustine yeah. and, Benedict. and Benedict. By that, yeah. we don't mean Saint. We don't mean Pope Benedict. We mean no. The Saint original Benedict. Benedict. Yeah. And Augustine, who you said is one of your favorites. Was that fun oh, yeah. shooting that one? I love it. Where did yeah. you go for that? For Augustine. Well, the one that stays in my mind is uh, where he was baptized by St. Ambrose. If oh, you, right. you go under the Milan Cathedral, yeah. and there's the beautifully preserved ruins of the octagonal baptismal font. Big, It's like, I don't know, from where the folks are to, to us, yeah. it's big enough. And, and that's where St. Ambrose stood in the water with Augustine and baptized him. And you think, what a you know pivotal moment in Western history, yeah. the baptism of Augustine. That was intensely moving sure, to me to sure. be there for them. You can see that and many others. Uh, all of it is available at wordonfire.com. Yeah. Right? Right? Thank, Thank you so you. much, Bishop Robert Barron. You're Thank great. You. Thank you.